Ken. Good to see you all. And uh, the, actually, the theme today is to do with true or false. So, so following on from those really good questions we had at the beginning, I've just got a few of my own to, to throw out to you. So uh, true or false? Quiz-style questions. This is just a kind of by way of a warm-up. So the black box, so-called black box in a plane, is black. Put your hands up if that's true. One, two, or three. It's actually orange. So there we go. Alliumphobia. Alliumphobia, not a very common word, is a fear or dislike of garlic. Put your hands up if that's true. A few? Yeah, it is true, but actually it's a slight trick question because it means the whole, the whole onion family. So technically it would be a fear or dislike of onions or leeks and so on. Okay. A is the most common letter used in the English language. Hands up if that's true. You're very good. This means that you will understand the passage when I come to read it in a moment. <laughs> e. E is actually the most common letter in the English language. Last one. I'm sure you'll get this one. In the song, Let It Go, the line, Let It Go, is sung 20 times. True or false? Hands up if that's true. Probably quite a few don't knows. It's actually 21 times. <laughs> yeah, okay. But of course, true or false, um, those are simple true or false questions, binary, binary things. But uh, this can be applied to people in the sense that it can apply to our character in general, can't it? Or people's character, a true character or a false character. And that's more the subject for, for today. So here's the reading. This is taken from Matthew chapter 7. And the first section is about prophets. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn, bush, bush, thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And now this is another section which is on true or false disciples. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many who say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So these are words from Jesus. We were in the second of several weeks of really quite blunt, stark and hard sayings from Jesus. And last week, if you remember, those who were here was the wide and the narrow gates, and it was Freddie speaking, we were contrasting these two gates, the wide gate, the easy gate, which, which leads to destruction, and the narrow gate, which kind of entails complete reliance on Jesus and the getting rid of all, all the baggage which might get in our way and hold us back, the narrow gate, which leads to life. That's what we were looking at last week. Um, this week, it's this idea of true or false prophets and disciples, and it breaks down into those two sections. So looking initially at prophets, which I think here kind of practically means those who might influence you, 
um, spiritually. I mean, it could be in any area of life, of course, but I think Jesus is here getting at those who influence us, and he's warning us about those who would influence us on the spiritual level, kind of spiritual influences. Watch out for the false prophets, he says. It's not always easy to spot them, though, is it? I mean, by their nature. Um, Because as he says, outwardly, these people are sometimes dressed in sheep's clothing, which is obviously not literally, that's a metaphor, unless we're talking about a nativity service, when they might literally be dressed in sheep's clothing. But here, this is metaphor, um, because they often fear benign. They appear benign and seem to care about us and to wish us well. Um, And discernment is needed for that reason. And he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And that suggests to me that we need to wait a while to, to be able to see this fruit and discern what the fruit is before trusting someone who claims to have kind of some kind of spiritual insight which is relevant to us or to you. Um, there, was a, there was an occasion when this came into sort of reality for me when at the, the previous church where I worked um, over in Bath, there were, we had a cafe in the church and there were some guys sitting at one of the tables. I vaguely recognized one or two of them, but there were about four of them. So I sat with them just to say hello. And, um, and they seemed to be quite spiritual people, and they, they said, can we pray for you? And there was a kind of warning that, in my mind that said, well, maybe I shouldn't actually say yes, but I did say yes. And they prayed for me, and these were people I didn't really know. And boy, did they go on. And at the end of it, they started asking all sorts of quite probing questions about me, quite private questions, which they seemed to have discerned. And it was really quite unsettling and quite worrying, and it was wrong, I felt. And I felt as though I'd been kind of spiritually mugged on that occasion. And I don't, you know, it's not a very nice thing. Um, I should have discerned. I shouldn't have said yes. Because you need to discern what some people are seeking, I think, in their dealings with you. And, I mean, thinking again about last week's talk about the narrow gate and the wide gate... If, I mean, if this narrow way is so difficult to find and to stick to, we all need to learn, don't we, from the influences and the teachers around us. And we need to learn um, how can, what will help us on that journey. And of course, people can help us as we have good and true prophets and influences around us. Is it your spiritual growth and your spiritual good that people care about, the people that you're surrounding yourselves care about. I mean, the true shepherd, um, because that's a picture which often goes with this in the Bible, the true shepherd will put down his life or her life, put his life at risk for the sake of his flock. Do these people who might be trying to influence you, do they point away from themselves and are they being transparent? And are they rooting what they say in general terms in Scripture, ultimately giving Jesus the glory and pointing you to him? Or is what they're saying kind of wrapped up in their own status and their own ideas and maybe their own power over you? And false prophets can sometimes be outliers, I think, because someone in the heart of things will sooner or later be revealed, won't they? What they really like will come to like come to life and we will, we will see the fruit if they're in the heart of things. So sometimes they're on the outside, on the fringes. 
So maybe the lesson there is to, to surround yourselves with people who aren't on the fringes. Maybe join a small group or one of the, the grow groups, as we call them here at Redmond, if you're not already in one of those. Because there you can find a place where you can see the fruit and people, people aren't outliers. Or maybe find a prayer partner, someone who's already known and trusted, who's revealed spiritual fruit in their lives. Just a few thoughts there on true and false prophets in our lives. And it can be hard, as I said, to distinguish them. But the second category of true and false in this passage, I think it's even harder. It's this idea of true and false disciples. Because that's more to do with ourselves and whether we are true and false disciples. At least it seems to point to me, it seems to point to us. I'll just remind you, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, says Jesus, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I mean, that is such a hard frightening thing. I mean, our own hearts can deceive us. And I think Jesus is, really is quite frightening here if we take him seriously, which we should. Um, and there seem to be two problems in this for us, I think. The first is that the Christian qualities that we might think mark us out as being good disciples won't necessarily turn out to have been valid in the end. And then the second problem is that the, the qualifying criterion given by Jesus in the first verse, which is to do with doing the will of my Father in heaven, that's the thing which is good, which he's seeking from us, is potentially problematic because, because we know, because we're good Protestants here, aren't we? We know that salvation is entirely through faith in what Jesus has done on the cross, not through our own deeds. Yet here on the face of it, we're told that we should be doing the will of God in order to qualify as being true disciples and to be saved. So there's a puzzle here, I think, several puzzles. What we're going to do, because, because we don't want to be left in a state of uncertainty here and, or being even afraid or lacking assurance, and that's certainly not what I'm doing. I'm here to build us up. So we're going briefly to borrow some verses from another passage at this point, um, practical encouragement. We're going to use scripture to interpret scripture um, because what Jesus says in Matthew, as I said, it's stark and it's, and it's hard to know where I fit into this as a true disciple. Um, and we don't want this kind of miserable downward spiral, which some people I know can get into, and that can destroy and be corrosive of our uh, assurance of salvation. So, yeah, we're going to look at these, these verses from 2 Peter just for a few minutes now. Because Peter, he understood really well from his own life and his own experience what being a true disciple of Jesus is all about. And he says, this is from 2 Peter, chapter 1, one of his letters 
For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness, sisterly kindness and to brotherly kindness love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he or she is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, the, the phrase, make every effort, comes up twice in that passage. And it's, it's obviously key to what Peter is saying. Um, a relationship with Jesus is founded on faith. We know that. It begins there. And it's the mark. But the mark of a true, not false disciple is that it, it doesn't stop there. So true disciples are to make every effort to add this list of qualities in their lives increasingly. And those things are built on the foundation of faith. In other words, we grow to be more like Jesus. We never fully attain it in this life, of course. But that's what we are striving to do on our foundation of faith. We must continue to grow and we must live out increasingly those qualities that, are, are, that I read that were listed. And the true or false in discipleship hinges on the difference between growing and not growing in those qualities. And that kind of is exemplified or comes out in this because Peter says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. There's only one proof of our love for Jesus, and that's obedience to him, really, isn't it? Um, I mean, there's no point... Think of it this way, there's no point in saying that you love a person and then just doing things that break that person's heart. Why would you do that if you loved them? I mean, someone once said, so often we confess God with our lips, but deny him with our lives. Faith without practice is a contradiction in terms, and love without obedience is an impossibility. But there's an important caveat here, isn't there? Because the Christian life isn't just a straight line of progress. Anyone who's been a Christian for any time will have learnt this. Don't despair, therefore, if you make mistakes, because you will, we all do. There's always forgiveness. Jesus forgives. But we do need to look at the long-term trends in our life. We all want to see progress, don't we? We all want to become more like Jesus. Turning your focus outwards and forwards, persevering, turning away from the things within you 
which will drag you down and looking towards other people. I mean, isn't that, isn't that really appealing? That is so appealing, I think. It's a release. You could see it as a release from ourselves and the self-centered short-term things that can just kind of preoccupy us. This is true freedom. This is becoming more like Jesus. Jesus loves us so much that he's determined to transform us so that we become more like him. How does that happen? How is it fueled? Well, it's fueled by our knowledge of Jesus. Knowledge in any area is important, isn't it? And it changes things. And in 2 Peter, knowledge of Jesus is really important. And that comes out twice. Again, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, and so on. If you possess these things in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge fuels our growth and keeps us on track. And what is this knowledge? Is it kind of Bible trivia? Is it the names of all the prophets in the right order? I'm sure you know those. It's not so much knowing facts as knowing a person. It's knowing Jesus, as Peter says. I didn't read it, but there's, a, there's an amazing verse just before what I've just been reading from Peter. And I'm going to read it to you now because it is also massively encouraging. It's a kind of key for us to doing the things that Peter's extolling. Peter says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Jesus. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Jesus. What that says is that, and it's so important, we're not on our own. Or we'd fail, wouldn't we? We're not on our own. His divine power has given us everything we need to grow to know Jesus. Not our own power, not our own ingenuity, intelligence, brilliance, creativity. It's his divine power. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus calls the shots. Jesus sets the agenda. Do you know that? I mean, do you know Jesus in that way in your life? Is that you? Because when you trust Jesus, as he promises, he sends his spirit. And the spirit, the spirit kind of enables that divine power to operate within us, within you. The spirit who Jesus sends to enable that divine power speaks to our spirits. And that keeps us on track. That holds us to the straight line, the golden thread, through the Bible. Through, he speaks to us when we pray about things on our own, but also when we pray with other disciples. And this is how we show that we are true, not false disciples, just coming back to the very beginning. We want to grow that list of qualities in ourselves that Peter gives us, bit by bit. 
And we need to be intentional about that and to receive what is on offer, everything we need through his divine power to grow. Remember, that's what we're trying to achieve this morning, isn't it? We're trying to grow in discipleship and to know that we're true, not false disciples. The other plus thing about this receiving this divine power through the Spirit is that that will help us avoid the dangers of listening to the false prophets. Because our growing as disciples will help us to spot them when they come into our lives. So that's, a, that's an extra bonus, I think. Anyway, Lizzie and Jody are going to join us again now. And we're just coming towards the end. So I just want to ask you this question. What steps do you need to take? What do you need to put into your life to make every effort so that you're effective and productive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? So that you will know that you're a true disciple. So that you will never stumble. Because we all seek this, don't we? We want this assurance that we are true disciples. So what is it that you need to do, maybe, in your own lives to bring yourself into alignment, to make that possible? We're just going to pray about that now.